Just as uh, people are gathering to take up uh, a couple of things before we launch into the, se- the second one, um, one or two came up and um, you know, said how God has you know, it's helped to clarify things about why they're insecure in the love of God and what can they actually do about it. Uh, just maybe one or two things just to feed into that, just some random thoughts that came just as I was um, getting prepared for this next um, thing. I think, number one, it's really important that you speak words that agree with God um, about you. You know, that you don't um, speak out these mantras that have been reinforced in our minds maybe since childhood, that we actually speak out words that agree with, with what God says. Um, sometimes back home I get people to take an A4 sheet and draw a, a line up and down the middle. On the left-hand side, I get them to write down the, the, the bad things that they believe about themselves. And, and they take a week to do that. And then we think together, well, how did that get there? And we trace some of the roots of it. And then we look at the other side of the A4 page and write down there the, 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 the stuff that God says about that. And then the, the, the sentences, maybe scriptures, on the right-hand side of the page become like their spiritual medicine. And um, I actually get them to read it over themselves three times a day um, and you know, for a month. And it's amazing how, how if we do that, just the power of words, just that we um, speak over ourselves and come into agreement with God. So that's one helpful tip. Uh, the other thing is just to remember that every day there'll be plenty of things that will reinforce the negative picture. And it's really important that you reinforce the positive one. And I find something that Brennan Manning um, says quite helpful. You can say it thousands of times a day if need be, um, but you can start the day by saying it too, just Abba, I belong to you. Sort of fits in with breathing in and breathing out. You just say Abba, I belong to you. And I found that really helpful. So get some sort of new mantra almost, you know, to get rid of the, the bad ones that are not helpful. Third thing, um, get prayer. You know, that's the great value of things like this. Um, I, I did not come right without prayer from other people. And um, it's part of what God's been doing for, I think, probably 40, 50 years now, just uh, reestablishing our awareness of the body of Christ that actually we can minister God to one another. Um, and I think often if we're in pain, we just think, I'll oh, hold the pain to myself and somebody else can, you know, uh, God can meet me uh, direct. And of course he can, but uh, he's trying to help us be a body. And that means that it's a good thing, any opportunity to get prayer from other people. Um, another thing just, um, uh, yeah, ultimately because it's God's work, you know, it's, it's the work of God's spirit that you need to, 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 so that you can hear him saying within you, um, God is Abba, Father. You're, the spirit's doing that all the time, and we'll come back to that this afternoon. But we need to sometimes get help from other people to help us actually hear that. The fourth thing, there's some really good resources. I mean, they're, they're probably endless resources on Father Heart stuff. But sometimes... Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think the older guys have got something that us younger ones haven't got. They've um, had a lifetime to try and um, get these things in place. We're actually going to just watch a clip right at the start to reinforce the lesson of the first talk and to take us into the second talk. Um, It's Henry Nouwen, who was a a Dutch Catholic priest. Um, He's uh, in glory now, and he's someone whose words and uh, writings I've found immensely helpful. 
Um, go on YouTube, look for Brennan Manning, look for Henry Nowen. It's all free, it's wonderful. And, um, you know, just use that even in your own devotional time, just to build yourself up in Abba's love. So let's just uh, watch this. The, the quality's not great, but um, just try and hold on to what's being said. I'm really grateful to be with you here this morning and to share my faith with you. And to the core of that faith belongs my conviction that you and that I and that we are the beloved daughters and sons of God. I might as well say that from the very beginning. You, we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. And one of the enormous spiritual tasks we have is to claim that and to live a life based on that knowledge. And that's not very easy. In fact, most of us fail constantly to claim the truth of who we are. I took this uh, this flip chart here to give you a little idea about how we often live our lives. If I draw a little line here, and I say, that's my life. My little chronology. You could also say, my little clock time. Well, I was born in 1932, and I wonder what I should put here. Maybe, uh, well, 2010. It's not so bad. But that's really all I have. And now you may say, well, listen, I came a little later, don't uh, So you came here. And you may say, oh, I have a few more years here. But it doesn't make very, very much difference. It's still a small little life that you have. A tiny little life that goes by very, very fast. Like that. And the question for you and for me is, who are we? Because that's the question that keeps us going. Because all during our lives, we try to answer that question, who am I? Okay, and that's the, the question he goes on to answer and gives various um, answers to that question, uh, really based on uh, a story that we're going to look at in a moment, just the, the temptation uh, stories of, of Jesus. Uh, you've heard already that I... Um, I minister in a place called Wester Hills, which is uh, an urban priority area with all the, the, the sort of problems that go uh, with that. And it's so different from my background, so different from my upbringing, and I uh, really wondered if I was the right person. Was I really hearing God when um, the, the congregation called me there? And at first I thought no, and then realized that God really was in it. 
But sometimes you look back and you see that God has been preparing you for a, a shift. And uh, you've maybe not seen all these signs, but then with hindsight, that wonderful thing, you can look back and you see you can see the story of God and how he's been getting you ready for a new chapter. And uh, I, I look back in my life, and one of the ways that God got me ready for a community like Wester Hills uh, was actually years before, maybe three years before we went there, when I was up in um, Aberdeen settling my daughter down in university. <clears throat> and uh, she was doing whatever she was doing, and I was just out in the streets in Aberdeen. And all of a sudden, this man jumped out in front of me, uh, uh, down and out. You're not meant to call them that now, but that's what he was. And... Um, he, he said, have you got any money? And uh, Union Street in Aberdeen is full of these people. And I was just about to walk past when all of a sudden I realized I, I know this man. And uh, the last time I'd seen him had been in the island where I was first a minister in Orkney, the island of Stronzi, And he'd been on his mother's carpet with his hands in the air praising God. And uh, things had gone terribly wrong. Um, he'd ended up um, actually becoming a cross-dresser. And uh, the reasoning behind that was that his mother, he was one of several sons, and his mother had said over him time and time and time again, I wish you'd been a girl. And uh, guess what? When she died, he started to dress like a girl. And uh, he never got that wound sort of healed, and his family couldn't accept that. I don't blame them. I'm not judging them. And he ended up on the streets of Aberdeen living rough. He ended up uh, becoming a drug addict. And uh, the saddest thing of all to me was he, he saw me and said, oh, it's, it's Mr. Borthwick, isn't it? And I said, yes. And the saddest thing of all was that there was no pleasure when he recognized it was me. And this was a life in which hope had died. He just didn't believe there could be anything uh, different. And it affected me so, so deeply. I just knew I, I, up until that point in my life, I'd never written a poem but I knew I was going to write a poem about him. And uh, I gave him some money, and we talked a bit, and he ran away like a frightened rabbit. And I just wondered to myself, I wonder where you go. And then this line came into my head as I was watching him run away. Uh, You're going to somebody who will give you more marks. And uh, there was a play of words there. I believe it was the Spirit of God. Uh, first of all, he would get more injection marks. He'd already rolled up his sleeve and showing me the injection marks. But there was a play in words. He was going to a gathering of people that would give him acceptance. And you know what I found? I found then, and I've found since coming to Wester Hills, that that's that's one of the deepest needs of the human heart, is to actually just be accepted. And I knew that he was running away to people who would give him more injection marks, but where he would actually feel welcome. The sad thing was there was a church over the road. I don't think there was many ways into that church or many paths out of it. Because the lesson that we've got is that uh, however short this life or long this life, there has been a love there since before it began. And it will be there forever. Just that love of the, the Father. Some tell me that he found his way back to the Lord. I'm not actually sure whether that happened or not. I can't prove that. But this is how cruel this age is. He actually took Parkinson's um, and was in a shop doorway uh, taking some sort of fit or reaction to medication. 
And people actually filmed that and put it on YouTube. And uh, the brother of the man begged for it to be taken off, and they just wouldn't do it. But I've never forgotten that encounter. And just that sense of what the human heart needs most of all is to be accepted and to be loved. And to know we've got a home, to know there's somewhere we actually belong. And I guess since <clears throat> coming to Wester Hills and where there's a huge problem with drug addiction, I guess I've seen that time and time again. We've got a whole sort of hinterland of drug addicts that come into our church cafe and some of them have come to faith and they're not yet free of drugs. Some of them have not yet come to faith. But the wonderful thing is that they look upon the church as their church. Um, I, I had two of them in the back of my car. We were taking them on a canal boat trip and for some reason I ended up with the two noisiest in, my ba in the back of my car. And even if they're sitting across a table in the church, they yell at one another. And they were yelling at one another in the back of my car. Did you hear what happened at the church this morning? And this other man who never comes to the church said, what church? Do you mean our church? All he does is come to the cafe. But he feels welcomed and he feels loved. And the other man said, yes, there was nine police cars down at the church this morning. And they were looking for a lady who'd crawled out a flat naked with a rope round her neck. This, this is how stories grow in Wester Hills. I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> there was one police car at the church that morning. And they were checking for uh, bald tires on cars. But somehow in the process, the number of people that I've heard have been murdered, and I've, I've learned by now just not to say anything to anybody else until it appears in the paper or the news or something like that. But, you know, I look at these drug addicts, and I see exactly what I saw with that man on the streets that we're all searching for this love, for this acceptance. I want to um, speak to you today about addiction. I want, I want to actually say to you, welcome to Addicts Anonymous, because uh, every one of us, to the extent that we're not at rest in the love of God, you know what, we'll be addicted to something. And we'll see in the process of this talk, maybe you'll see what you're addicted to and where God needs to set you free. If you want to know what the anatomy of addiction is, turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. And an American speaker talked about this verse a few years ago, <clears throat> and he described this verse as the anatomy of addiction, and it, it just puts it so succinctly and so perfectly. And uh, maybe you will see where the love of God needs to help you with your addictions. So Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where we simply read this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In case you've not got your Bibles, let me reread that. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, what happens is that uh, when we forsake, or when we don't know, let's widen out the verse, when we don't know the love of God, well, what we do is that we dig um, cisterns. We look to other things to console that place that can only be consoled by the love of God. Uh, Don Williams describes um, that like this. He's very good. I mean, how many of you here like chocolate cake? Any of you here like chocolate cake? Well, uh, immediately you're going to feel guilty, aren't you? Because you think I'm going to speak about nothing but addiction to chocolate. 
And uh, you're right, I'm going to speak about it. I'm going to speak about that. But let me just uh, tell you what he says about chocolate cake to explain in the light of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, to explain the anatomy of uh, addiction, how addiction works. Um, your mother told you that she loved you when she gave you a piece of um, chocolate cake. And years pass, and you're feeling down one night, and you're sitting in front of the TV, and you know there's chocolate cake in the fridge. And you start to crave after that, because you remember the comfort that that gave to you, and it brings back warm memories associated with that chocolate cake. So you go and take some, and you feel good. But after a, a wee while, the sugar effect passes, and your craving now becomes control loss. You go for another bit, and you go for another bit. You might end up stuffing the whole cake in your mouth in order to get that feeling of comfort. And then it grows from there. You know shops where there is a particularly good grade of chocolate cake. And you have your suppliers all over the city. That's the anatomy of addiction. Looking for comfort, you crave something, and the craving becomes temporary comfort, and therefore the craving grows and becomes control loss. So comfort, craving, control loss. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 in the light of that. And we're going to try and work out where <coughs> some of our addictions may be. <clears throat> and in order to do that, um, just explain this for the, the, the uh, CD, we're, we're actually going to watch a clip of the temptation stories of Jesus. Um, but if uh, people have got the CD of this, you can find the temptation stories in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. But let's just uh, watch this together. It's a children's thing, but I really like it. <clears throat> and note the progression that uh, where the temptations happen from, what has happened just immediately prior to that. Let's watch this together. My Father in heaven, then I must follow. You are my beloved son. I delight in you. My beloved son. This is my beloved son. Where's he going? There are battles which have to be fought alone. Come on. Alone. 
put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, so we're going to look at these stories now in terms of addictions because if our hearts are not at rest in our identity as the beloved of God, then uh, Satan will make sure uh, to replace that with other things or he'll try and draw us away from that place of safety and that place of security. <clears throat> it's intensely interesting to me the setting of the temptations that it happened immediately after Jesus was declared the son whom the father loved. And uh, this is a, an attempt by Satan to get Jesus away from living that as the basis of his life. If you do go on to YouTube and watch uh, all of Henry now, and in these um, sermons he was big, we saw the introduction to there, <clears throat> you'll find that what he draws in his squeaky flip chart um, is that, um, who am I? And uh, he says, maybe you think you are what you do. And he bases that on uh, the story of Jesus being tempted to turn stones into bread. Or, or maybe you think you are who other people say you are. In other words, jump down from here and everybody will see that you're the Messiah because uh, angels will swoop in and rescue you. Or maybe you think you are what you have. You know, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory I will give to you. And he says, you know, if you are what you do, or you are what people say you are, or you are what you have, and then he draws an even squeakier graph, and he says, <clears throat> you know, your peace and security and rest of soul will just go up and down all the time. He says, none of these things are who you are. You are the beloved of God. And we really, really need to get hold of that. Well, I want to look at these um, temptation stories, not in the Henry Nouwen way, but in my uh, own way, um, because I, I think there are things for us to learn here. If you're not at rest in the love of God, then number one, there will be cravings in your life. There'll be cravings, and uh, they might be for very, very physical things. We laugh at chocolate, but it might be chocolate. It could be food. It could be rest. It could be for sexual intimacy. There'll be some sort of physical craving there often. And that's where some people's addiction will actually be. wonder if there's a craving right now in uh, your life. And it's very, very easy to justify when we allow that craving to go out of control. We can justify it like this, that um, God has made me like this. These cravings are part of who I am. Therefore, I have a right to satisfy these cravings. 
So let's look at this first temptation. God has made us with an appetite for food. Jesus had been without food for 40 days. It's very easy when some physical need is not met, it's very easy for that to become a craving out of control and with no bounds. I mean, Jesus was legitimately hungry. But what we see in Jesus is that if my father has brought me to a place where he's asking me to live with a need unmet, then actually I'm going to do that. Rather than satisfy that need in a way that will take me out of the Father's will. And I don't know, sometimes for me, what's missing in the Father heart messages sometimes that come across is almost that what's being presented is a Disneyland type of Father who just lets you do whatever you want and smiles upon you. That is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ actually puts us in situations where at least temporarily we feel that some of our needs as people are not met. And he asks us to live with these needs unmet. And the way that you can do that is if your heart is at rest in the fact that you are his beloved. I find this really difficult when I'm asked to go and speak to students. In fact, I hardly go and speak to Christian students now, because as, as far as I can see, they go off to university, they spend three or four years having sex, and then they regret it, and then they try and get right with God, and, and it seems to me just a mess. And so often what I have to say to Christian students is God has made you physical. He has given you certain needs and appetites and desires. But when these are not met, you can live happily with that. So long as your heart is at rest in the Father's love. And if that's your core identity, you're not even going to think of satisfying that need in a way that will take you out of the Father's will. Can I just ask you, just be honest with yourself, is there some sort of physical need, appetite that has become a craving, that has become a bit dangerous area for you because it doesn't seem to be bounded? I minister to men in our congregation who still have to get hold of that if they have a need for sexual intimacy, even just sex full stop, then they will go to prostitutes. Or they, they will put on more pornography. And it's not that I don't understand that. And it's not that I'm excusing sin. But I know they'll never get victory until their hearts are at rest in the Father's love. And until they do, then at times, these very physical appetites go beyond craving and become control laws. We were thinking about getting real about ourselves in the presence of God in the first talk. 
you, you know what? We really need to create churches where people can get real. Because I'm looking at a gathering like this. Everybody seems as though they've got no cravings out of control. But you know that some of you have. And you know as well that perhaps your church would not be a safe place to admit this. But when you know the Father's love, not only will you begin to get victory over that, but you'll find it safe to actually speak out the problem. So is there a craving for something physical? It might be um, sexual intimacy, it might be food, it might be rest. I mean, when cravings even for rest get out of control. I mean, if you've got hypothermia or something, you can, you can lie down in the snow and die, you know. Cravings out of control are not good. Even when it seemed they, at first they might seem to be offering some benefit or to be harmless. So don't push these things away. Just bring them into the presence of God. Um, because ultimately it's a father heart issue. Lord, this shows that I've not fully found that rest of soul that Jesus spoke about. Do you remember when Jesus spoke about rest of soul? Do you remember what he said it depended on? Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, we know the verses, and we'll come back to that in our third talk this afternoon. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We, we know that promise. But do you remember the verse before it? Nobody knows the Father except the Son. So come to me. The answer to everything, I believe, I was speaking to a lovely gentleman just in the coffee break, and I was sharing something that my friend who um, died early, he was in the ministry, he died when he was 50, and uh, he said to me, he was one of the first people to introduce me to, the, to Abba's love. And I remember him saying to me, Kenny, he was adopted, he had all sorts of inner issues himself. He said, Kenny, the answer to every need is the felt love of God. The answer to every need is the felt love of God. And I actually believe that. Let's move on to the, the next temptation. It depends whether you're following Matthew or, or uh, Luke's order here. Um, I, I want to follow Matthew's order. The need for affirmation, the need for approval, the need for affirmation from other people will make us go places we would never go if our hearts were at rest in the love of God and do things we would never do if our hearts were at let rest in the love of the Father. Henry Nouwen's very honest about this. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes I think, you know, that we think because somebody speaks about something that they're fully into it themselves. Um, that's not always the case. It means that they're trying to get there, that they've realized their need. They're not necessarily always there. If there's one theme that I find in the writings of Henry Nouwen, it's simply this, that no human being can fully meet the needs of another human being. I wonder if we've accepted that. He found that difficult to fully accept, though he preached it and preached it wisely. 
And even to the end of his life, he would seek out people and just ask them to hold them and to comfort them. And sometimes he would just cry for hours, just needing their affirmation and needing their acceptance. Sometimes it would make him possessive of people. He just admits that freely, that he knew he wasn't fully into what he said to others. This is what he said on one occasion. He wrote a book called Heart Speaks to Heart. And in it, there's just three prayers that are very raw and very real. <clears throat> and he just wrote them as they came without any sort of alteration. And he said this in one of his prayers. Oh, Lord, why is it that I'm so eager to receive human praise and human support, even when experience tells me how limited and conditional is the love that comes from the human heart? So many people have shown me their love and affection. So many have given me words of affirmation and encouragement. So many have been forgiving and generous towards me. But no one could touch that deepest hidden place where my fear and my loneliness dwell. Does that describe some of us? That maybe we're, we're in places where folk do affirm us, Maybe they appreciate our work skills. Maybe we're in a church where people affirm what we're doing and so on. And yet somehow, there's still a place where there are hidden fears. And actually a very real and deep hidden loneliness. That we can be in a place where people are affirming us, showing us all sorts of love. And yet there's something deep down that still feels deeply lonely and still feels maybe deeply afraid of life or the future or whatever. And here is Jesus being tempted to move off the, the security of the Father's perfect love. Just leap down from here. Do something spectacular. Everybody will affirm you. And Jesus knows that that's a false route. And no security comes from it. How much have we done in our lives that is actually secretly in the hope of the affirmation of other people? How much in our lives now is the result of wanting not to disappoint a father, for example, or a mother? If I was to ask you to put up your hands, and say, are you in the job that you want to be in? Or are you in a job that was expected of you? I wonder how many hands would go up. How much in our life, how much damage that we do to ourselves, how much of that comes from this apparently insatiable need for approval and for affirmation? In Wester Hill, sometimes, you know, sometimes we talk about areas like that as though they're worse than anywhere else. I, I don't necessarily think they are. It's just that the lessons get written in very bold black and white letters. 70% single mothers. How much of that came about? Either A, for the approval of a man. or for the affection of a baby. I find it hard to speak against the single mum thing 
because I see that for many of these young girls, for the first time in their lives, they're receiving love. They're receiving affirmation. They're receiving worth. My eyes now in Wester Hills, you know what? There's worse things than having a baby. But if only their hearts had been at rest in the love of God, then that difficult life would not be the result of seeking affirmation and love in the wrong places. Again, look at this respectable gathering. Some of you will be seeking affirmation in the wrong places. Some of you, you know, have got too close to a, a member of the opposite sex. Some of you are trading on, treading on thin ground. And God wants to save you from the consequences of finding affirmation in the wrong people in the wrong places. And to draw you back to find rest in his father heart. Let's just look on. What about the third temptation, the deceitfulness of, of, of wealth? You know, that we, we are what we have, that uh, things bring us a security. I, I remember somebody in Thurzel, my last church, before I went to Wester Hills, and uh, he really was going great guns for the kingdom of God. But I noticed something in him that had never, ever been healed. And it was that for him, having things, having money, was a great source of security and comfort to him. It made him feel good about himself. And I remember being in his kitchen one day, for God alerted me to that pastorally. I tried to speak about it. I don't think, I didn't think at the time I'd got anywhere. But I knew that God was actually giving him a choice to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust that everything else would be added by the Father who knew his needs or to go after this unhealed path. And I can look back to the day where I knew he made the wrong choice. He's now got property in all sorts of countries. He works in the oil industry and so on more money than he knows what to do with. But he's nowhere with the Lord. Friends, again, just, just be honest. Uh, are things a, support, uh, a source of comfort for you? Is your bank balance a, a source of comfort for you? Well, there's one way to get out of that false comfort. Give it all away. And then you've not got it. Maybe then you'll find security in the Father's love. See, the wonderful thing is that uh, when our security is in his love, when we're seeking him and his kingdom and his righteousness first, then, then he gives us all things. Are, are some of us here needing to take the risk of proving that's true? It's all right to put God to the test, remember, when he tells you to put him to the test. And he actually tells us that about material things. 
He says, test me in this. Bring the full tithe in and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll just not be able to contain it. You're held by material things. Is it a source of comfort for you that when you die, you'll give um, your grandchildren and your children X thousand pounds? Why not give them it now when they need it? Don't take too much pride in your inheritance that you'll leave. I think it's J. John, when his father died, we're in, they were in the room for the cup of tea afterwards, and people were saying, how much did he leave? And J. John just looked at them, said, well, he, well, he left everything. <laughs> the Bible tells us in Proverbs, my least favorite book, because it's so hard-hitting, that if you've got the wherewithal financially to help someone and they come to you and you, you, you delay even and say, oh, well, come back tomorrow, then it's not a good thing. Part of the way the Father works is giving us his kingdom now. There's more to come. So where, is that a problem for you? You're finding so much security in finance, so much security in things, that it actually is leading to either security, insecurity and fear or false security and pride. Is it time to find rest in the Father's love? The wonderful thing is that when we, we, when we take the risk, God will literally provide everything. I've really found that. I remember when we were first training for the ministry and uh, we couldn't afford to live and we thought uh, a freezer would be a good thing. I don't know that it is, but somehow we thought it would be a wonderful thing if we had a freezer. And so we, we prayed about a freezer and the next day I walked downstairs to open up the church halls and there was a freezer sitting there. And um, I walked past that for three weeks. And eventually I said to the cleaner, what's that freezer doing there? And, and she said, well, somebody left it for you in Morag the other week. I, I can give you a test. He'll provide a freeze. He'll provide a wife if some of you are still looking for a wife. When I realized that Morag was the one for me, I thought I'm far too shy to tell her. And so I, I did put God to the test because um, I said to him, Lord, um, I think Morag's the one for me, but I'm too shy to tell her. You've made me like this. So I need to know by tomorrow, 24 hours from now. So um, the next day we weren't supposed to see one another. We were both at college, university, and um, we weren't going to meet up at the Bible study because we had too much work to do. But I got through my work quicker than ever and went into the Bible study Morag, my wife, was on a platform in a church um, on the other side of the city of Glasgow due to sing a song. And she said to the minister, I'm terribly sorry, I've got to leave. I've got to leave right now. And she got up and she got two buses across the city to stand outside the door of the church where I was not meant to be. And I came out and wasn't expecting to see her and so I walked past her. 
And it's all very romantic because it was snowing and she came running after me in the snow. And I know. And, <laughs> and uh, declared her love for me within 24 hours. Friends, it works. But when your faith is in the love of a God who cares about all your needs, it works. Our son, I told you last first time he was at the well, he, he just had a horrendous experience of bullying and so on growing up in the north of Scotland and left him with all sorts of damage. And some of you I know have prayed for him and he's beginning to come into faith, a faith of his own. He's having dreams from God, spiritual experiences. He's taking an interest in the, the persecuted church. He's, he's on the move at last, and it's really good to see. He passed his driving test, and I thought, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to save up for my daughter's wedding, if or when that ever happens. So I would really want to buy him a car. I've, I can't do it. And the next day, £3,000 came in. Just a gift, an anonymous gift from whoever. Friends, it works. You don't need to seek these things in order to find your security, in, or, in order to find that inner peace and rest, whether it's a car or a wife or a freezer. I don't mean to put them in that order. It shows, shows you something of the mind of a man, I suppose. But make him your security. So do some of us have to get just a bit honest today about where our addictions are? Are, are there things about us physically, our appetites, that we know are actually out of control? Do, do we know that we're, we're spending too much time resting? because that brings us a certain measure of comfort. But, but actually, I'm not doing anything productive with my life. Not that that will make God love you, remember, but it's not a good way to live, doing nothing. Is there an appetite that's out of control? Is there a people need just for people to affirm you and notice you? Is that unquenchable, no matter what somebody does or says? It, it just doesn't meet that need of security and, and worth and value. Or is it material things? Is there an addiction to more and more and more? Remember that too is a never-moving goalpost. I think it was Rockefeller who was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, always a little bit more. Always a little bit more. You see, Jesus' words, unsurprisingly, are true. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world? And lose your soul. It's a soul at rest we're looking for. I really feel challenged just at the end. I didn't mean to say any of that stuff about wealth, so I presume it's a challenge for some of us here. A, a living, real challenge from a real living God. In Jesus, he's told us, it's not the way I operate to make you to the end for everything. 
the kingdom is here now. There's more to come, but it's here now. Do some of your children need to know that? Do some of your friends need to know that? Does the community that you live in need to know that? I mean, in Wester Hales, where 80% of people are in benefit, one of the ways that you can show people the kingdom is near is by giving them a hundred pounds. By giving them food for a week. By saying, we'll pay your electricity for a year. The pursuit of money can make you lose your soul. But when it's yielded into the hands of God, it can bring his kingdom close. Let's just be still in the presence of God for a moment. Let's shut our eyes. I want us to be honest about where our addictions may be. And for those of you who are in need of, of money, whether for ministry or for yourself, I just tell you I've prayed for £10,000 three times and it's come within days. Never from an expected source. You're no fool to give away what you can't keep. Remember Jim Elliot said that. You're no fool to give it. You can't keep it for eternity. You're no fool to give it away what you can't keep in order to gain what you can't lose. Anyway, leaving that specific thing about money aside, that might just be for one or two or ten or fifteen. Let's just still our hearts and minds. Lord, we want to find rest in you. We've lived long enough to know that um, other things that we've pursued in order to find rest of soul don't really work or satisfy. Thank you for Jesus' invitation to come to him, to the one who knows the Father. And in the one who knows the Father and makes him known to us, we can find rest. I just want to say right at the start, of we're, we're going to have a, a hands-on ministry time, as it were, in just a, literally two or three minutes. But just before that, I just want you to hear the Father himself loveth thee. And your Father knows your needs. And, and one of the things, remember, is to replace the sentences in your head that are not true. And I want to tell you that your Father loves you and your Father knows your needs. So in the presence of God, let's, let me just guide you through a few thoughts. Number one, ask Jesus to help you break through any denial that you may be an addict. Maybe you're totally at rest in the love of God, but even those of us at rest in the love of God, remember Jesus was at rest, but he was tempted down three paths that would bring him no rest. Maybe you've been tempted to come out of that place of security in God. So ask Jesus to help you break through any denial that you may be an addict. An addict among addicts. Just as you're thinking that, what are the symptoms of your addictions? Where do cravings appear in your life that leave you restless and maybe sad and maybe fearful? 
and lonely? Where, where do the cravings appear in your life? What do you seek comfort in that you know is not really bringing you lasting comfort, but just leaving you with the possibility of then these cravings growing and coming out of control? What, what are the symptoms? Where are the cravings? And those of you tempted to have an affair, that, that other person won't satisfy that craving either for intimacy or affection or affirmation. No, no human being can do that fully for each of us, on, only God. Let me put that another way. Who, who or what are the idols you cling to in order to satisfy the, the craving? How has an addiction to a person, an activity, a substance made itself known? What good thing in life is that addiction stopping you from enjoying? And just lastly, for 30 seconds, just ask Jesus again to help you break through any denial that that lack of fullness of life or a heart at rest in other people or circumstances a denial that that lies in anybody else but in yourself. An addiction that needs to be broken in you rather than a fault of other people. And will you take responsibility for that? doesn't mean others haven't done you damage, but it's a bit like alcoholics. You never, ever really get free till you take responsibility. Will you take responsibility that the, the core responsibility for your addictions is in you, not in the fault of other people? And lastly, lastly, don't be afraid of owning up to where there's a need and where you see a poverty because um, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor. It's in the places where we're poor and defeated that actually the kingdom breaks through. So don't be afraid of seeing the extent to which something or some other person might hold you. Some of us have got an infatuation with another person, but we can't break it. Don't be afraid of that. Just come into the presence of God who meets us in the place where we can't, so long as we come there with honesty. And he can help us. Just going to ask the worship team to come back. That'd be great. And let's just remain quietly in the presence of God, just as they're coming. And just uh, again, it's really important throughout the day. Don't lose hold of a kingdom seed that God puts in your heart. Lots of words today. What what seed are you meant to hold on to? Let's just hold on to that. I'm also going to ask the prayer ministry team just to come forward. And um, it may be that there will be. Um, people here who have not been used to being prayed for. And um, I'm just really going to encourage you, even if that takes you out your safety zone or comfort zone, because God does want us to learn to be a body where we receive from one another as well as directly from him. It's a good thing to take opportunity to be prayed for by other people. And the people that are doing the praying are trusted uh, by their own churches and by the well. And... Um, the, the, in a moment, I'm going to encourage you to come forward. It may be that you'll come forward just as a sign before God that you want to um, uh, get
get these addiction things or the self-image things that we're thinking about this morning. We want to get them fixed and sorted. And as you're waiting there, somebody will probably just come and say, can I pray with you? If you don't want someone to pray with you, that's fine. You might just want to come and gather around the cross that's over here and just have your own time with God. That's absolutely fine. But somebody probably will come and say, would you like me to pray with you? And then they'll just pray with you. And probably that will be a mixture of silence and prayer, just waiting on God to see if there's something that he wants to particularly say into that need. When, if the opportunities offered to say what you want prayer for, just because of time, just try and keep that to a sentence or two. It's not a, a counseling session, as it were. It's just prayer ministry. So you just say, this is what I'd like prayer for. It's all right if there's emotion in the telling. That's fine. It's a safe place. And then just somehow trust that it's the other people's job to do the praying. All you need to do is just to stand there and to receive and not worry about the process, but just stand and receive. And the rest of us, not if we don't want prayer, let's not just um, watch. Let's actively in our own hearts and minds just seek God for ourselves or for the people coming forward for prayer. Let's not be spectators. God doesn't like observers simply in a place where he wants to be and where he wants to move. So let's not just observe. Let's either receive prayer or be in a place of prayer or worship so that God can bless and work. So if the ministry team can come forward, that'd be great, the prayer ministry team. And it's going to be no pressure other than what I've said. Just uh, if you want prayer, then come forward. If you know there's a self-image thing and this whole negative cycle of self-image, image of God, self-cycle that needs to be self-image that needs to get sorted. Or if you are aware that there's stuff in your life that has a bit more control over you or people in your life that have more control over you than is good and healthy, then just come forward and receive prayer. No more pressure. And the rest of us can either pray where we are or just um, enjoy the presence of God. But let's not just sit back and, and observe. Let's stay in, stay in the presence of God. So if you want prayer, come forward. Mm -hmm.